I wanted to, you know, J.O. referenced Psalm 16, and we're going to end up there. We're probably going to flip around quite a bit. This won't be an exposition as much as sort of a topical thing, but I think Psalm 16 provides a ton of hope. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord, and I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. You hold my lot. The lions have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So as we think about counseling singles, when you signed up for the session or when you hear that category, singles, who comes into your mind? Like what age demographic? What, what, what did you think you were going to hear about this morning? Unmarried. What? Unmarried. Unmarried. Just any age? You didn't have a... Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I have, yeah, I have a whole section called How Do We Help Max? <laughs> Anybody else? Did you? What college? Yeah, college. Okay, good. Yeah, there's there's lots of categories, right, for us to think through uh, this morning. I think when I when I initially conceived of singles, I thought of like younger unmarried, right? But there's also you know older older unmarried. There are single moms, single dads who are trying to figure out how to, how to parent. There's divorcees, there's widows. And so as we think about those different categories, you know, what are, let's take one of them. You know, a lot of us probably signed up thinking college age or, you know, 20s and 30s unmarried. What are some particular hardships that they may be, may be facing? You're 20, you're 30, you're unmarried. Okay, loneliness, what? Figuring out what they're going to do with their life. Yeah. Loneliness, desire to be married, figuring out what life is like, or going to be like, look like. Where they fit in the body of Christ. Mm, yeah, that's good. Possible temptation for pornography as well. Yeah. Sure. What about, what about, I don't know if this changes significantly, but any ideas on the older and unmarried? You know, not, not we'll get to divorcees in a moment, maybe single moms, widows, but... You know, somebody, somebody getting a little bit older, unmarried, what, what might be going on in their heart, in their life, in their thinking? Life's passing by. Yeah. Anything else? Have Anything? a fear for, you know, as you get older, not having anyone there because nobody wants to, you know, be old, especially if you have health problems or issues like that when you're lonely. Yeah. You're sort of looking around at your peers and they, they know 
when I when I can't take care of myself, my kids will step in, and you may begin to wonder. Uh, you said envy, is that right? Yeah, looking around at other people who man, maybe life has just not turned out the way they dreamed, and you know it, it would be easy to to envy those who you look around and say, man, especially in in social media world where you know your married friends are just putting out these you know, these beautiful pictures and they present this perfect life to the, to the world. What about single moms or single dads? Well, me being a single mom, it's, you know, I wish that I had a godly father figure for my son, mm. you know, cause his father is not a believer. Yeah. And so that's probably one of the main things there. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that with us. Yeah. Godly father figure. Didn't think I'd be doing this alone. Yeah, really good. It's hard um, to socialize even in the church setting. If you are a single mom and everybody else is married, you don't get invited Mm -hmm. to the same functions, you know, couples get together. Right. And you're the kind of the odd one. Yeah. Anything else come to mind? So entering the dating world again. Yeah. Yeah, dating. What does that look like? You know, when you're in college, it's going to look different. What about divorcees? You know, and that maybe maybe that goes hand in hand oftentimes with single moms, but not always. You know, there can be death and in the family and failure. Okay. Companionship. Yeah, longing for that companionship. And let's talk about widows. Um, you know, we could do a whole session on, on widows. We're going to try to just, hopefully a lot of the things we're saying are going to be able to be applicable to, to lots of different demographics. But what, what might they be staring at in the face or, or temptations that might be particularly strong there? You know, those first... First birthdays, first anniversaries, you know, not that it ever gets easy, but I think those are sort of milestones that are particularly hard days where maybe the church can step in. And, you know, the reason the reason I wanted to ask is I just want to make it um, make this this point that we when we counsel people, we're not counseling categories. We're counseling people. Right. So so whatever I say today is not meant to just like you take this and you just sort of place it on every person in your life who is single. You you aren't counseling a single person. You're counseling Cheryl or, you know, Cheryl may be longing to be married. Jared may be, you know, sort of coming up late 20s early 30s he he's sort of fearful of rejection even though he does he would desire to be married but he's afraid to talk about it because he's afraid to put himself out there and be hurt or rejected or sarah whose husband has deserted her you know or jean who is a recent widow misses her deceased husband and so just just know that you're you're counseling the person in front of you and you've got to get to know them, not walk in with all kinds of assumptions about what it means means to be single and what it looks like to be single. I mean, it's helpful for us to think through that, like what might be these particular pressure points or issues for them. 
But we don't want to disregard everything we just learned from J.O. in terms of gaining involvement and gathering data and getting to know the person that's across the coffee table or across the desk from us. So, so oftentimes in, in counseling, they'll come in with, with some of the things we just mentioned. It might be these presenting, presentation problems, presenting problems, whatever you want to call it. You know, I want to be married or I'm lonely, I'm anxious, I'm, I'm depressed, I'm angry, I'm consumed with pornography. You know, uh, Angie, you mentioned that. You know, and I, I've seen that, like, as there's been these studies out that's like, isn't this great? Less and less people are getting divorced among young people. Well, the, the reason is less and less young people are getting married. And part of the reason is that of that is that we can fall into just this digital world. It's easier to sort of have like an online chat with someone than it is to say, hey, let's go get some coffee. And so you're just sort of like, you don't have to put yourself in these really awkward positions anymore. And you can just settle for this online life and not actually get married. So it's not actually as good a news as we think that, oh, well, less people are getting divorced. That's because less people are getting married. So I want to think about something that J.O. mentioned in, in 1 Thessalonians 5.14. Because, you know, as it, is that mine? Okay. As it pertains to counseling, discipleship, one anothering, you, you can't help someone until you understand them. Right, I, 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 I want to keep reiterating. We're, we're counseling the person across from us. You can't help them until you understand them. You know, I, I tell the story sometimes of, like, in our old house in Missouri, we had a sliding glass door in the back, and two, my two oldest boys come in. My oldest one slams the door, and my youngest one has his left hand still in the door, and he's just, and, and the door's like still shut on his hand, and he's, he just immediately starts freaking out you know he's screaming like crazy and from the time I can like make it over there it, it's funny now right because I'm watching Brennan he is genuinely like so concerned and he's looking all over his brother and he's just like scrambling trying to and the, he misses the one thing right <laughs> so he's like just look and look and look he misses that his other hand is still stuck in the door and as frantic as he was trying to help he couldn't help because he didn't actually see what the problem was, you know, so the, the, a, a misdiagnosis or not seeing the actual problem leads to poor solutions or no solution at all. You know, I, I there's another story that's not as funny as that. There was a guy that went in for surgery and he was supposed to have his right leg amputated and the doctor took off his left leg and his right leg still needed to be amputated. Right. So so wrong diagnosis misdiagnosis leads to all kinds of wrong solutions. That's why we reject humanistic counsel. Um, you know what? Psychology can, can look at people and they can sort of observe people really well. They can say like, oh, people tend to do this and they tend to do this. Um, but psychology is, is man's attempt to understand man apart from two categories, God and sin. Right? And so naturally then it's going to lead to faulty solution. Um, 
So we want to understand the person in front of us. In First Thess 5.14, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. You know, one of the reasons, this is sort of beside the point I'm driving at right now, but one of the reasons we're doing this, count, this conference, this text is not just for pastors. He's not addressing pastors here. This is to the church. Admonish the idle. This is the church's work. Admonish the idle. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with them all. So as we think about these categories, you have, you have the idle or the, the unruly. Um, I think these are those who, who de- deliberately and willfully are disobeying the teaching of God's word. The idea is that they're out of step. They're disorderly, deliberate, intentional disobedience. You know, having... Just mentioned Lion King last night. I think I'm thinking of Mufasa telling somebody, "You deliberately disobeyed me." That's the <laughs> that's the unruly, right? This is if we're talking about singles, maybe it's the single guy who texts another woman in the church and is asking for explicit images, explicit pictures. You know, which which is a, which is a problem. It's, you know, when I, when I was working with teenagers, we had I don't know. Seventh graders, sixth graders, doing asking for these from other girls in youth group. Thank the Lord, our girls were godly, even though our men weren't godly, and they were saying, telling people about this. Or the the the, the divorcee who's insisting on marrying an unbeliever because God wants me to be happy, and this will make me happy. Well, what do we what do we do with with the unruly, the disorderly? We admonish. We warn them of the, the, the dangers of sin. The way of the transgressor is hard. I mean, I use that text in counseling all the time, especially, I'm not doing counseling teenagers, um, but especially with teenagers. Right? The way of the transgressor is hard. You're, you're complicating your life by walking in contrary to God's good will and good design. And so we admonish them to turn from their sin and turn back to Christ. They, they, they may need to see the holiness and the righteousness and the justice and the wrath of God. You know, just this, this word admonish is that Greek word, nutheteo. Some of you have heard that if you've sort of ran in counseling circles. You know, one resource says it, it's to counsel about avoidance or cessation of an improper course of conduct. It's to counsel, right? In fact, we, you know, we, we run in, in ACBC circles, the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors. Some of you are pursuing certification through them. If you're interested in that, you know, we, we can talk about that. But that used to be known as the National Association of Nuthetic Counselors from this word, nutheteo, to admonish, to counsel. Um, I think they changed it because nobody knew what nuthetic meant. And plus, I think, you know, probably they had a reputation for only doing nuthetic, nutheteo, admonishing. Somebody comes in, they have cancer, you admonish. <laughs> They've been divorced, you have, you admon. well, we see in 1st S 5.14, J.O. mentioned earlier, that's not, that's not always what we do. There's another person here encourage the faint-hearted i think these are the ones that are discouraged they're tempted to give up 
They don't need the, the admonishment at the moment. You know, we can sort of always, we, this is liquid, right? I, one day I could need admonishment, the next I could need encouragement. I'm not saying like, your counseling fits one of these for your 12 weeks. It's not that. But we need to understand what we're doing and what we're saying and who's across the desk. You know, this could be the, the girl who desperately wants to be married, but she's pushing 32, 33, 34, and you know, the world might say, oh, it's no big deal. But if you, if you run in church circles, I mean, that, that's starting to feel, feel older and unmarried. She wants a good thing. She wants a good thing. And maybe she's questioning, you know, how could this be the good plan of God? You know, she's faint hearted and she needs to, she needs to be given hope. She needs to be pointed to the gentle savior. You know, in my counseling, I've found that oftentimes those who need to be encouraged, the faint-hearted, they're really aware that God is judge and God is ruler. You know, the things we say, you need to admonish this man that God is holy and righteous. The faint-hearted, they're often very aware of that. They need to be reminded that God is his father and he's, he's near to the brokenhearted, that he is their shepherd. So we come alongside them and point them to God's faithfulness. J.O. mentioned God's promises, his sovereign care, his grace. You know, in fact, it, it was funny. Like there's this huge resource, like the source to go to with, with Greek words. And it's like their, their definition of this Greek word is cheer them up. Cheer them up. And it's not like this worldly thing. Like, hey, let's go drink Coke. We love Coke. That'll make you feel better. But it is to, to encourage their hearts in the Lord. Not to just bring the hammer down on them. Paul also mentions the weak. You know, the weak could be those who have a weak conscience. It could be those who are particularly susceptible to temptation. It, it, it could be those who are particularly hard to love. In other words, the ones that society just says is too much. It's too much to come alongside you. The poor, the weak, the addicted, the refugee. You know, I think if we want to just summarize, it'd be those that, that it's hard to care for. If we're just being honest, it's really hard to care for the weak. But the love of Christ compels the church of God to uphold the weak. Those whom society runs away from. You know, and if we're, if we're just honest, the church tends to run away. You know, when I was in student ministry, it was like this pervasive attitude of, we want the kids that can help our youth group. Right? If you're like cool and popular and you can bring 10 friends, we're all in. But the kid that's hard to love like a lot of youth pastors didn't have time and, and churches can do this. If you're, if you're just like, if you're just like attractional, you love like the young family with, with four kids that's super successful and cool, right? They come in, they look cool, they're dressed cool. They got it put together, but, but somebody else wanders in and they're, they're hard. They need like care. They need to be, Paul says, hold them up. They don't need rebuke right now. And encouragement won't go far enough. They need to be upheld. They need the kind of care and attention that the world says 
we don't have time for. So as, as God's people, we, we don't run away from those who need care. We run to them. We take an interest in them. We pay attention to them. We remain loyal to them. Even, man, even when we're, there's nothing in return, right? There's, there are people in every church where you are loving them only because, or, or not because you're getting something back, right? They, they don't have a whole lot to offer you, but you're loving them because Christ compels you to love them. So we uphold the weak. Dave Pallison says, basically, if, if, you know, just lean on me, I'll, I'll try to have faith through this situation and we'll just walk together. And I'm sort of like, I got you on my shoulders until you can begin to stand up on your own. So there's three categories, three different responses, but there's a fourth person in the text that, that's, that Paul mentions in the very beginning. We urge you, brothers, you know, Best case scenario, this is the mature, the mature believer. Not necessarily a, a super Christian, a, a super saint, but someone who is, you know, not going to be significantly tempted to travel down the same road of the person that, that they're counseling. Right? So the mature comes alongside. And they admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, uphold the weak. Galatians 6.1, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. So as we think about 1 Thessalonians 5, um, let's consider our own hearts for a minute as counselors. One, we need wisdom to know when to speak and what to speak. We need wisdom to know, to discern the need of the moments. We don't want to. We don't want to comfort the unrepentant. We don't rebuke the one who has been sexually assaulted, and we don't admonish the one that just found out she has cancer. Right? We need we need wisdom to discern who's across the table from us, who who's who's in church with us. And we also need courage to do those things that don't come naturally to us. And what I, what I mean by that is, when you hear those three things, oh, I almost put it, three things. Um, admonish, encourage, uphold. Some of you in here are really good admonishers. Like that comes actually natural to you. You're not afraid of conflict. You're not afraid to be in somebody's face and be like, what are you doing? Some are really good encouragers. And you are really skilled at taking the faint-hearted and pointing them to the gentle and lowly Savior and giving them hope. And some of you are those type of people that just come alongside those who need extra care. I have, you know, I have a friend named TJ. He just always he was he just always had people around him that were hard to be around, and he and TJ was like popular. I mean, everybody loved TJ, so it would have been easy for him to just be like, you know, I don't have time for for you guys that are really hard to care for. I mean, he worked in a home for kids that were like too bad to be in their home, or maybe they were too old, they got kicked out of their house, and they sort of lived in this home because it was the only place they ever had to live. And TJ just ran with these guys. 
he was really good at upholding the weak, being around those and encouraging those and sharing the gospel with those who, who just didn't have anything else going for him. So we actually need to have courage to do that which does not come naturally to us. I'm an encourager, right? So it, it, I, it's tempting for me to want to encourage the idle or encourage the unruly. But I've got to, I've got to admonish the unruly because that's what God has called me to do. Dave Pallison says, you know, a hammer thinks everything is a nail. A blanket thinks everything needs to be covered. And somehow he uses like wheelchair for the weak. He's like, so if you're a hammer, like, no, everything's not a nail. <laughs> right? Not everybody needs to just be beaten down with admonishment. If you're an encourager, sometimes you do have to be, lay the hammer down. Right? Or you do have to uphold the weak. And same if you uphold the weak. So consider our own hearts. We need wisdom. We need courage. We need patience. Right? Isn't that how Paul ends the text? Be patient with them all. We want to be patient with everyone. Because God has been patient with us. I mean, we have no right. <laughs> we have no right to grow impatient with counselees. Um, we do. Right? But as we, if you think about the way that God has been kind with us. And patient with us. We might be motivated to, to stick with counselees. So, so we discern who we're talking to, right? We recognize we're talking to a person, not a category. And then we, want to, we do want to speak truth, right? We want to speak truth. And if we, we're thinking about some of the things J.O. said, we, we want to give hope. And one of the ways we give hope is, listen, whether it's loneliness, whether it's single parenting, whatever we're dealing with here, God's grace is up to the challenge. You know, if Titus 2, if you're in First Thessalonians, not too far away all those tea tea books are together and by God's wisdom um, Titus 2 for the grace of God has appeared ah, in Jesus Christ the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people what, what, what what's involved in salvation beyond just justification training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. If you have a counselee that's a believer, and they, they look at that text, they want self-control. They want to live upright. They want to live godly lives in this present age. And so, well, what's the hope? God's grace is up to the challenge. God's grace has appeared, bringing us salvation and training us to renounce ungodliness. God continues to be at work in his people, conforming them to the image of Christ. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, right? If, if, you, if you run in church circles, again, and, and you're 35 and you're unmarried, it can feel like, man, I'm the only one. I'm the only one. But we can take them in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation is overtaking that is not common to man. But God is faithful. And with the temptation will provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Right? Sometimes we think that way of escape is like the emergency exit. I can just get out and it'll go away. What's the escape in 1 Corinthians 10, 13? Endurance. So you endure through this difficult suffering. 
you know, part of the issue when we break out like, okay, teens, singles, married, it, it's, okay, there are unique, maybe unique pressures, um, but we're all dealing with common temptations. So one of the hardships is, is, is actually helping us see that people are people, no matter what season of life they find themselves in. So the goal remains the same. I mean, J.O. and myself and, and the Johnsons, like we're all saying the same thing. The goal remains the same, whether you're talking to someone who's married, someone who's not married, someone who's suffering, someone who's a widow. The goal is not primarily, and primarily matters because some of these things aren't bad. It's not primarily marriage for the single person who wants to be married. It's not primarily happiness. What's the goal? That we might please and glorify God in the midst of whatever stage we find ourselves in. That we might have, instead of looking to to sort of greener grass, it's that today we'd have deep-seated joy in God through Jesus Christ. That's why I open with Psalm 16. And your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So as we speak truth, and we want to remind them of the goal. The purpose of life is to glorify God. You know, last year I spoke on the glory of God. I sort of shared my testimony. I was in Bible college for years thinking that, like, my only goal in life is to share the gospel and not totally ruin my testimony. Like, if I can, if I can avoid the big sins, I'll be okay. And then I get to go to heaven, so it's all good. Um, and then I was just confronted with some of the texts we've heard Today, Isaiah 43, 7, these are my people whom I've created for my glory. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whatsoever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. 2 Corinthians 5, 9, Paul says, we make it our aim, whether we're present or absent, to please him, to please Christ. And, and what's, what's cool in that text is present or absent means like if I'm in heaven or if I'm on earth. I want to please Christ. So if our goal is not greater than solving something like loneliness, right? If someone, if someone comes to you and they say, you know what, I just want to solve this issue. And that sort of solution in their mind is detached from the glory of the Lord. It's detached from their purpose in life. You, you, know, what, you know what they're going to be tempted to do? And we're all tempted to do this, whether we're single or not. It's to use people instead of serve people. Right? It's how can I use people to fill this thing that, I, that I'm feeling? Look at, look at James 4. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So the the temptation for all of us, but probably particularly those who who are lonely and want to fill this sense of loneliness, is to want to use people as vehicles to satisfy the desires of their heart. And so what happens is, when you're, when you're sort of living up to my expectations, we're good. 
right? I mean, everything can look like it's good. This is a good relationship. We've got, we're just kind of mutually serving each other's idols. This is great. But as soon as something gets in the way of that, when you don't get your way, what happens? We react, we fight, we quarrel, we murder. Sometimes that looks like silent treatment, right? It doesn't always look like murder. But what do we do? We seek to punish the person who didn't meet my need. So we've got to get a a bigger picture of life than just, oh, you're lonely. Let me help you fix that. Well, yeah, we can, we want to, and we'll get to like, yeah, we want to, to help them build relationships and we'll get to some of that in a minute. But I was getting at what J.O. said earlier. God sets the agenda, not, not the presenting problem, right? And we don't ignore that. Um, or, or the counselee doesn't set the agenda. I'm, I'm lonely. I don't want to be lonely. Okay, well, that's our agenda. Or some of the things J.O. said, like, I want you to fix my husband. Okay, that's the agenda. No, God sets the agenda, and the agenda is change for the glory of God. So when we speak, we, we give hope. God's grace is up to the challenge. Um, we keep God-centered goals in mind that we want our counselees. You know, John 15, um, abide in me, bear fruit, keep my commandments. This is the commandment I give to you, that you would love one another. And what, is, what does Jesus say? By this my Father is glorified. Right? And then he says, I, I'm saying these things to you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be made full. And we want our counselors to be filled with joy. But not because we've sort of met some desire of their heart, but because they've, they've been abiding in Christ. And they've been walking in, in righteous obedience and they're finding their joy in the Lord. You know, we can also search through good questions for what might be driving them. Idols of the heart, Jail's going to address this. What, you know, we can ask questions like, like, what are you wanting? What are you desiring? You know, I don't know if you see, I think it was like an Office Max commercial, but it's like, there's this, they had the easy button commercials, you know, like something comes up, you just hit the easy button and it's fixed. So sometimes I'll say like, if you had, what, if you had the easy button in front of you and you, you were able to hit that, what would life look like? Well, you're getting a glimpse sort of into their dreams and their hopes and their desires. We can ask them, when are you most tempted to be angry? When are you most tempted to be anxious? When are you most tempted to be sad? You know, and if somebody says, man, I'm, I'm most anxious, I'm most tempted to be anxious when I'm going to disappoint somebody and I have to say something hard. Well, that's like... I get a glimpse in their heart. They may be wrestling with fear of man. So what are some idols we might be looking out for? Well, an idol of comfort and sort of, like I said earlier, sort of putting yourself out there makes, that's uneasy. So we want life to be easy. We want to demand our own comfort, our own ease, regularity, peace, space, quiet. Harmony, you know, we, it's, you know, in my, in my world, it's like, 
I got a lot of single guys who, who should pursue girls, and I, I got a lot of single girls who I wish a godly man would show up if, they, if God has called them to marriage. Um, and I'm not saying that's always the case. <laughs> right? But I think, I think a lot of the guys I know are just really, really comfortable. Or an idol of success, you know, we see this, right? Driven by the world standards. You know, oh, you can't get married at 21, 22. You got to go to college. You got to start a career. You got to be the CEO of your company. And, and then, then you could start thinking about, you know, we had a, we had a girl in our student ministry who's like, I'm, I'm going to go be a missionary. And her dad's like, you can't do that. Maybe you could do like medical mission strip after you become a doctor. And so dad is like discouraging this girl from serving the Lord. So it's sometimes it's top down from parents. Sometimes it's just the world standards that are pressing in. You know, I can't have kids because kids will slow me down. I can't reach my goals. I can't be a successful. You know, what's the whole the whole rationale for, for abortion that you hear is like, it's going to get in the way. Well, it's an idol of success. Kids being sacrificed on the altar of success. There's an idol of, of control. You know, when you're, when you're younger and single, like you're in control. At least you think you are. You sort of make your own decisions. And it can be scary, like I said, to put yourself out there. Well, there's, there's two ways to live. It's, it's trusting God and living in submission to his will, or it's trying to be God. There's two ways to live. We can either be in control or recognize we're not in control. We have, we have areas of responsibility where we are called to obey, and then we've got areas that are outside of our responsibility where all we can do is just trust God. There's an idol of security. You know, again, marriage, that's a good desire. Right? But it could be as you press and prod and ask questions that what they really want is just someone around that can be a, a security blanket. Well, that's going to create problems down the road as no, no spouse can fulfill what only God can fulfill. How do we know that something's become an idol? Something has become an idol when we sin to get it or we sin when we don't get it. So if, you, if, if you're over-desiring companionship, and again, you say, you know what? I don't care that this person doesn't know the Lord, doesn't love the Lord. What am I doing? I'm willing to sort of, I'm willing to sin against God in order to get this thing. Well, at that point, guess what? It's become something greater than God has in my heart. Or I sin when I don't get it. I so want companionship. It hasn't been given to me. So now I'm depressed, anxious, angry. Something's become an idol. I think so much, so much of biblical counseling, I think, is this. You're willing to admit the hard truth. And that on the other side of that hard truth, there's actually hope. Right? So it's like, if I can call this thing sin, then there's hope. Because God has made a, made a solution for sin. Not only legally, but in our very nature and uniting us to Christ. So 
it could initially be comforting to say like, no, this isn't an idol. This is, this is natural. But then guess what? You're just sort of like trapped in this world of, I, I can't change this because this is just who I am. So again, I think so much counseling is just like, if we're willing to admit sin is sin, and we're not trying to confuse things that aren't sin with, with things that are sin, right? We're not just calling everything sin. J.O. mentioned sometimes you're sinned against. Sometimes this world that's been affected by sin causes you to suffer. But if we can call those things sin that God calls a sin, or call those things idolatry that God calls as idolatry, then there's actually hope because God is in the business of changing hearts. God is in the business of removing idols and calling us to worship Him. When we speak truth, we, we can also call for repentance. Here's the thing. And this sort of goes along with what I'm saying. The hard truth, all right? Some things we're saying today can be hard. And, and so much of what I'm saying is just, it's not a single problem, it's a people problem. But a discontent single person will be a discontent married person if they get married. A discontent single person will be a discontent married person if they were to get married. The happiest people in the world are not those who are, who are married or those who are single. It's those who find their joy rooted in Christ. And his right hand are pleasures forevermore. They seize whatever, whatever stage of life they're in for the glory of God. So think about Paul's instruction in Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We know that. Well, what's Paul talking about? He's talking about contentment. And he gives these varying stages of life. Whether I have a lot or nothing. Whether I'm full or empty. I have learned the secret. I think that's Paul mocking the, the philosophy of the world. That there is some secret that you have to decipher. I said, I've been given everything I need in Christ. So in all, all things, in all circumstances, we can find commitment. You know, it's funny, like people that live in the, in the hills love the hills, right? And so, um, and they think like going, and, and I'm here, right? So I'm not, I'm not mocking, but like I'm getting somewhere. But like rapid feels a little overwhelming. Like that's a lot of cars, a lot of people. And so when, when Jeff was preaching about contentment in Philippians 4.13, he said, you know what? And he was talking about the Osterlings. He said, you could live in Louisville and be content. And you could hear a groan in the church, like, I don't know about that. I don't know if I could live in that big of a place or that big of a city. So the, the idea is, no matter what your circumstance, you can, you can be content. And if you're discontent, in the hills, you'll be discontent in Louisville. If this comes through Christ, he, provi- he provides the strength to be content in each and every circumstance. So the issue isn't our circumstances are hard and God addresses the heart. And as biblical counselors, we want to address the heart. You know, sometimes, you know, we've been talking about singles, but I've heard married people look at single people and say, oh, what, what would I give for that sort of freedom? So you have both. Right? Both groups, if we're not careful, looking at each other saying, man, what joy that would bring. It's not about our circumstances. Um, let me... An- another thing is we speak truth and, and give, give homework. Tie into the local church. 
if we think about this issue of loneliness, which, which we've talked about, it is an issue. Like, where did, where did estrangement from each other begin? It began, it began in the garden, right? Adam and Eve, blame shifting. You know, is that woman you gave me? So estrangement, the, the fall not only created estrangement from God, but estrangement from one another. Right? By chapter 4, you have murder. So there's these interpersonal relationships are estranged as well. You have rejection and shame and hiding and blame shifting. All these, all these things entered at the fall. You know what? It was, it was a married couple who first experienced loneliness and estrangement and separation from one another. So this is, this is an issue of, of sin. Well, where is, our, where is our hope then? Our hope then isn't in marriage or anyone. It's that Christ has come and he has suffered and died and been resurrected and united his people with himself. And in so doing, like we said last night, united us to one another. So that really... When we think about loneliness, the answer isn't being around a lot of people. The answer isn't getting married. It's knowing you are, you are in Christ, and in Christ you've been given this family called the church. You know, a passage in Matthew nineteen twenty nine, And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or land, lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. You know, I think Jesus is saying, in this life, you get a hundred. You get a hundred mothers, you get a hundred brothers, you get a hundred sisters. If you've given it up for, for my sake. In the church, you're given this new family. And here you might find older men and older women to come alongside you. And be a sort of spiritual mother, a spiritual father if you didn't have Christian parents. In the church, you might find brothers and sisters who desire to encourage you and to love you. And so the burden, though, doesn't just fall on the single person. It falls on on the church to be the church. Um, And sort of encapsulated in this whole conference, and we, we can make application here, biblical counseling is not just a program that you add to the church. It's a philosophy that's meant to integrate itself into, it's Ephesians 4. It's pastors equipping the saints for the work of the ministry so that we might speak the truth and love to one another, that we might grow up into Christ. Don't conceive of counseling as like this, okay, we've got Awana, we've got youth group, we've got, uh, what are some other programs? We don't, we don't do a lot. Choir. And we've got counseling. It's not that. This is discipleship that's meant to infiltrate the life of the church. So um, that's why biblical counseling is unique. Because you're able to come alongside people. You're serving together. You know. It's not reserved for an hour or two on a Wednesday or Tuesday. So as a church, then we can, we can be dedicated to serving those who are 
single, who are divorced, who are single parents. You know, we can have them in our homes. You know, we, we had a lot of college students at, at my former church, and Thanksgiving and Christmas was like just college kids running around the house. And that's okay. Kids' birthdays, like just involve them in the life of, of your family and the life of the church. You know, we are the body of Christ so, so, so much so that suffering in one part of the body affects the other part of the body. And so we ought to come alongside those who are, who are in suffering. You know, this is just my, um, this is just my thinking. So I'm not, I'm not trying to throw any sort of church under the bus, but we, Churches might be undermining themselves if they sort of say, all right, we'll put all the single people over here in a room. You know what I'm saying? Like, man, I, I, I want to actually be in the way of that. Because I think that probably all my teenagers are going to want to run together. All my singles are going to want to run together. Like Lila was saying, all my married couples are going to want to run together. All my widows are going to want to run together. So what can I do to sort of shake that up and get in the way of that? I think churches should consider that. And I think single people should consider that. Because I, I know single people are like, I want to go to this church because they've got a killer singles ministry. And so I don't know that that's what they, they most need. I think they need to be connected to the body. Um, another thing we got to we got to move a little bit. Get all counselees, including single people, to to serve others. We have new priorities emerging in the church, or, or that emerge in Christ. He died for all, so that all who live might no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died and rose again on their behalf. Man, one of the reasons Christ died is to free us from selfishness, that we might no longer live for ourselves. Um, I, it's not true of all singles, but some are consumed with selfishness. Um, you know, I've got a lot of single friends who would serve anybody at the drop of a hat. So again, I've, I'm not saying this is a unilateral thing. But I think it can be easy to be lulled to sleep a little bit. Especially if you're single with no kids. Like, you do what you want, when you want. You know, I was married relatively young, but I remember like I had this MacBook and I took it to class. I was in seminary still. And Liz is like, oh, I needed the MacBook. And I'm like, that's my MacBook. <laughs> what are you talking about? So I had been kind of lulled into this sense of like, I didn't even realize there were so many ways that I was just consumed with my own world. I didn't even take Lizzie into consideration. Um... So in more formal counseling settings, we can give homework that, that get them busy serving during the week. You know, call five church members this week and encourage them and ask them how you can pray for them and pray for them every day this week. You're getting, getting their, their eyes off of themselves. You know, you can tell, again, if somebody's just sort of like, Grumbling, nobody ever has me over, nobody does this. Well, well, be proactive. Maybe you invite five people over and be considerate of their schedule, right? I, I know people who are like, hey, Friday night, game night. And then they get all burnt that everybody's schedule's tied up on that Friday. It's like, no, work with them. 
Figure out when they can get over and have them over. Um, you know, one thing that's, that's simple is like, hey, I'm, I'm, running to, I'm running to rapid. Come with. You know, um, that's a little. Again, it was easier to do that, I think, when I was in a town with a bunch of seminary kids that didn't have jobs and were just hanging around looking for somebody to hang out with. But it's like it was easy. Like, hey, I got to go get a ton of stuff at Walmart. Come with or a, a homework assignment. Hey, grab so and so and go serve this widow this week, or go talk to her, pray for her. So get counselees serving. Um, also, you know, I, I, I want to just mention this before we're in. I've got to. I'm just going to fly through some stuff. Remember that the single life is one valued by God. The single life is one valued by God. You know, Paul says, "I wish that all could remain as I am." I wanted to turn to First Corinthians seven and hang out there a minute. Um, you know, God is near to the one who is suffering. He is near to the brokenhearted. And so everything I'm saying about goals and idols, I'm not implying that this isn't difficult, difficult stuff. He's near them. So we want to equip them as well. That's setting biblical goals. We've talked about that. You know, one thing for the... for. For the person who is unable to change their circumstances, what do, we, what do we want to help them with? Well, why don't you focus on becoming God's type of man or God's type of woman right now? Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord, but that which is revealed belongs to us and to our children so that we might walk in the law of the Lord forever. Right? I don't know. I can't tell a counselee what the secret will of God is, what the secret plan of God is. I don't know. I didn't, I didn't know I'd be in South Dakota five years ago. Right? I don't know what that is. J.O. said, don't overpromise. That's part of it. You don't know. But that which is revealed, it's been given to us. We have his word so we might walk in it. So become God's type of man, God's type of woman. Develop godly habits, scripture reading, prayer, serving, church involvement. Uh, you know, man, why don't you, why don't you lead? Why don't you lead something? Women, why don't you demonstrate yourself to have a gentle and quiet Spirit, even though you're not doing that in the context of marriage. There's a place for older men to come alongside younger men and teach them some of the, the, the practical aspects of life. Working hard, managing your money, being a godly man. You can help young people um, evaluate whether marriage should be pursued. Right, Paul says in First Corinthians seven, if you're if you're lacking self control, if you're you're burning in your passions, yeah, you should pursue marriage. Um, again, I I have people that I think should probably pursue marriage, um, but I don't I don't think they're doing it. Um, what's the indication? Strong sexual desire. Yeah, try to get married. Try to find a godly person. Um, Marriage is to be preferred instead of burning with lust and desire. Um, I'll end with this. Maybe, maybe I'll end with this. Weep with those who weep. Right? For the one who desperately longs to be married, they want to raise a family. Those are, those are good desires. Weep with those who weep. I would encourage you, leave room for your counselees to talk and to pray the way the psalmist talk and pray. Again, don't be the hammer. Don't be Job's friends. 
Listen to some of the ways the psalmist talk. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? So we need to, we need to lament with those who are walking through lamentable circumstances. And the purpose of a lament is not just to put God on blast. It's, it's to express what you're thinking so that you might turn in faith. But mo- almost every psalm of lament has that turn. Yet I will do this, but I will trust in the Lord. So we want to turn their focus to the Lord and his faithfulness and his grace. But we're also not shy about, man, these circumstances are tough. We're going to weep with those who weep. Um, so let's, let's, does somebody have a schedule? Are we 11.15? Okay. Well, let's pray. If, if you have questions, um, you know, talk to me afterwards. Love to, love to catch up. Um, so let's pray. Lord God, we want to be faithful. And we want to love those who are around us. We want to admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, uphold the weak. We need wisdom to see. We need courage to act. We need patience to bear with people. Lord, we need maturity so that we can speak. May you grant us that by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.